So welcome to Deconstructing Health and Fitness with Chris Wilkins and Elizabeth Hefner. We're going to take a look at a lot of things going on in health and fitness today, and we're going to decide whether or not they're actually useful, whether they apply to you, or whether they're really taking you in the wrong direction. So over a decade of coaching, clients led me to believe that the only way for people to experience lasting change is for them to understand their habits and systems they have currently in place and move from there. I apply a scientific approach to that. We change a thing. We look at how it works. We decide if it's working or not, and then we change something else and we repeat. You can't just coach one aspect of health and fitness. You have to coach them all at once. All right, Liz, what's on the agenda for today? I, it's going to make me sound like such a goody goody, but I drank alcohol two days in a row. You wino. And I immediately was like, oh my God, you're going to become an alcoholic. (laughs) Because <laughs> alcoholism does run in my family, but not uh-huh. not strong, not like super strongly. Um, it also, I don't know because I don't. I'm not an expert in this at all. Forgive me, but also, it's. I mean, it's weird. Okay, I want to say well, it was situational alcoholism, but I'm like, well, what alcoholism is not situational? Like people well, right. don't drink because everything's great, probably. All right. Well, one of the things that I I noticed right away when you started talking about this was that this idea of drinking anything at all is a path to alcoholism. Two days very, in a row. Two days <laughs> in a row. Whoa. It's just it's a very black and white. Yeah, and that's weird because that's not coaster. like me at all. No, I've it's never heard you do that before. Strange. It's so bizarre. But I think I think that's the first thing to be careful of is that it's a repeat pattern, and you know that. And therefore, yeah. a big red flag should have gone off when you had the thought. Never mind the two days of drinking in a row, right? It's the thought that should have been the red flag. Because the fact that you drank two, probably I'm going to go out on a limb, and you probably had like no more than two drinks on both nights. Yeah, exactly. you're, you're nodding. You have to I literally had two drinks. <laughs> I literally had two drinks one night and two drinks another night. Right. And this spiraled you into this shame and guilt over your potential alcoholism. And it's a really interesting thing because this is absolutely what happens when you eat something you think you shouldn't. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, my God, I blinked and I devoured the entire fridge. Right. (laughs) But did you? Did you drink the whole bottle of bourbon? No, but it's getting low. So I got to go get a refill later. (laughs) I did not drink the whole bottle of bourbon, although I was... I, there was a part of me that was like tempted to just be all like, just keep going. You've never really, really, really pushed yourself. So in the interest of like giving you different scenarios to frame this same statement in, right? That, that sentence mm-hmm. didn't work out quite the way I planned it. But like, it's easy to take a situation we feel emotionally attached to and then like catastrophize or make it very black and white because our emotions are involved in it. So let me give you one where my emotions were super involved and we came up with a strategy. So one was parenting. Like that's obviously a very emotional set of events. And I'm going to give you a specific thing in parenting that is talked about all over the place, which is this idea of co-sleeping versus not co-sleeping. Right. And in America, like the bulk of people or the bulk of experts, I should say, are super against co-sleeping. It, as, a, as an actual parent, like it is hyper unrealistic to think that that child is never going to spend a night in your bed because everybody at a certain point breaks and is exhausted from whatever shenanigans 
happen as soon as you're supposed to go to bed. I mean, there's a great book called Go the Fuck to Sleep um, (laughs) that is written by a genius of a children's author. Obviously not a children's author, but whatever. And Samuel (laughs) L. Jackson reads it out loud, which is about the best thing I ever heard as a new parent. But anyway, I digress. Let me get back to this situation. So it's this idea of if my child spends one night in my bed, does that mean that I am a failure of a parent because I'm co-sleeping and now I've ruined the child for life? They will never be able to sleep in their own bed again. Does that sound reasonable? No, no, at all. <laughs> right. Even though there's a real risk that I become super lazy about it. And it is really nice to have my kid in my bed because she's all snuggly and warm and I made her Aww. and it's lovely, but it's also, I don't sleep so well and neither does my husband and she wakes up really early and there are these other drawbacks to the situation. So we were highly incentivized not to let it become super routine. Never mind the privacy aspect of it. Right. <laughs> Cause I don't know how people, sorry, here's a little tangent, but I don't know how people ever have second and third children if your first child is still sleeping in your bed. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, hmm. Anyway. I guess, let's just say that they, you know, like uh, quickie somewhere, somewhere random, right? you know, the bathroom. Not, yeah. That's not, that's not the way. <laughs> that sounds awful. That, that, that sounds unrewarding, but hey, maybe not. That's too much. Let's go back to nutrition. So, <laughs> all right. So one night in my bed is not co-sleeping and a permanently damaged child. What about two? Two nights no. in a row? No. Permanently damaged child? What about three? I think it's, you're getting in a habit there. Ah, okay. So we look at something as maybe several times as starting to form a potential habit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll tell you what we ended up doing in the end, but I want to go back to the, the bourbon for a second because you basically were like, two nights in a row, I've had two drinks and big red lights went off in your head. So what was the fear that drove it? It was the alcohol, like the alcoholism in your family, basically, right? Yeah. Or was it a weight thing? It was both. It was definitely both. Um, I, I feel like initially my thought was, oh my God, how many calories in this? You have to mm. like adjust your eating then because you're drinking your calories. Uh, but then it really went to this place of like, you're going to turn into an alcoholic and it's going to get really fucking bad. And, you know, I'm in marketing and I immediately started picturing Mad Men. And I was like, they drank so much <laughs> because marketing can be a really fast place, stressful thing where you're trying to, you know, get results and everything. And I mean, you're trying to get results in pretty much every industry, but right. Um, I, I just was thinking like the, you know, mad men where they were just like drinking constantly and that's how they dealt with their fucking stress. Well, in the TV show, you know, who knows if that's actually how much people, I, I struggle to think. It's an exact, it's an exact (laughs) estimate of how people live back then, obviously. Okay. But I think, I think, oh, I got to put my phone on. Do not disturb. It keeps bonging at me. Okay. But I think what, what's important here still is this idea that whatever you're emotionally engaged in or whatever creates emotional feedback for you is likely to trigger an unrealistic set of consequences that might unfold if the behavior continued. And we know, we know from, you know, going through this in the first round of coaching that for you, there's a tremendous amount of guilt and shame around food. And that as long as you're holding on to guilt and shame about anything that you eat, it's going to just, it's going to drive restrictive behavior and restrictive yeah. behavior then feeds the guilt and shame monster when you don't 
or when, sorry, when you do indulge in something you shouldn't quote unquote, and I put shouldn't in quotes, right? So the same thing, I'm going to go back to the parenting to take the emotion away from it for you, right? So <clears throat> the guilt and shame monster for me was I'm damaging my child by making her sleep by herself. She's lonely in there. It's dark. She's scared. And I'm forcing her to be alone. How terrible. She's going to grow up and not know how to have human relationships because like, I never let her cuddle with me at night. Like she's going to hate all people and terrible things are going to happen to her. But if I let her sleep in my bed every night, <laughs> I'm not going to get any sleep and my husband might leave me. Hmm. What to do, right? So you end up in this ambivalence problem, right? Which is you were drinking the bourbon because A, it's a festive time of year and you feel like it's something normal to do right now, B, because you were enjoying it, and C, because maybe you needed to wind down after a long day. Yeah, it was mostly it was mostly C. I had a very stressful Tuesday and Wednesday, and I was like, I can't stop obsessing. So it felt like I was using it as like a de-stressing emotional crutch, which I think a lot of people use alcohol <laughs> as right. that. So I'm like, I mean, but I also really enjoy the flavor. Right. A lot of people use food for this too, which is how yeah. we end up with these comforting or sorry, with these coping strategies that are not necessarily long-term beneficial for us. And so that's what you want to do. And, and it always comes back to what we've been talking about recently, which is asking the right questions for this situation. So, you know, the, the questions that immediately popped up while you were going through the behavior pattern was what are the consequences to my weight? What if I become an alcoholic? And then the statement of I'm a bad person or, you know, I shouldn't be doing this or some kind of guilt or shame followed. So let's let's back out of that and let's actually try to ask productive questions for this situation. Right. So one productive question we've already answered is why did you drink two drinks two nights in a row? What was the root feeling or action or event in your life that made this manifest for you? And it was you said two stressful days. Yeah, specifically right. just feeling like I needed to shut off my brain. <laughs> right. So this is a common one for you too, right? Is this escape, this distance, this space and time for your own thoughts and, and self. And relaxing. I'm feeling like, I don't know. I mean, I know this is a thing that plagues many people. I also feel like it probably plagues women more than men is this obsessive, obsessive thinking where you're just like, if I'm not obsessing on everything, everything's going to fall apart. I'm holding it together with my obsessive thoughts. Right. And that is exactly how it feels when you are in the throes of obsessive thinking like that, right? Is this is actually helping me. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying these productive questions are going to help you change that pattern because you, you are asking questions of yourself already, but the questions you're asking are self-reinforcing. So they don't allow you a different way to see the situation. They don't allow you to say like, oh, this is a coping strategy. I have many coping strategies, it turns out. I thought there was only food, but actually alcohol seems to work. <laughs> so Anything does that like, you can put in your body, alcohol, well, right. sex. <laughs> right. Ooh. Well, well, I mean, I said put in your body. I know. That's why. <laughs> Let's just move on. So this is why, you know, you were starting to find other things like hiking, that yeah. would do the same thing for you that were beneficial 
and not necessarily destructive. And not that having a drink or two is destructive, but if you have concerns around it, then it's definitely something to watch for. You know, you got the warning flags for a reason. It's not that, and I'm not saying two drinks over two nights is a super scary red flag situation that you need to like rein in right now. But it's also like for you, for that moment. For me, like I drink so rarely right? because I do worry about alcoholism um, and it becoming, because to be frank, drinking, like having alcohol, even like a small amount, like when I feel that little bit of tipsiness, all of a sudden the weight of the world seems to get off my shoulders and I feel like I can breathe easily. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I, I just... I feel like, you know what, nothing's that big a deal. And I just feel so in the moment. And I'm like, is this what self-actualization is? <laughs> with it? But it's like with well, alcohol. So I'm like, no, this is not self-actualization. But it just feels like like the when I have alcohol, God, now I feel like it's tur- this is turning into AA. I feel like when I have alcohol, I feel, I feel, this is probably why I'm so scared. I feel like me. Well, when I have alcohol, I feel like it's the, it's like what, not the only time, but it really seems to be like an easy flip on switch to where I can actually enjoy right. my life. I mean, it's a disinhibitor. <laughs> that's the whole yeah. thing it chemically does in your brain. It disinhibits you. So I think that's really interesting considering we're constantly working on the constructs you have to constrain yourself. So no wonder alcohol feels so magical. I mean, it's literally the off switch to all the stuff you're trying to deal with at the moment. I mean, it's so I should become. It makes a whole lot of sense. I'm I'm no, I'm not saying become an alcoholic or, but I'm saying this is a really interesting piece of information because the way you just talked about what alcohol does for you, like when you go and listen to this podcast and you're editing it, I I am almost 100 percent sure. Sure, you're going to go, oh, yeah, because it was really interesting. And it was, it's so central to some of the other things this structure that you strive to create and the way that you try to force yourself into this mold. And I'm not saying that structure is bad or that discipline, self discipline is, is bad or anything, but if you're using it in a way that creates a lot of shame and guilt, it's very hard to maintain. And you do feel like you need to escape it at some point. So the goal is really to figure out how can you create a framework for yourself that doesn't rely on guilt and shame to keep you in line. Sorry, I had to squirt a cat. If she scratches my furniture one more time, I swear She's I'm so going to give her a full bath. This <laughs> <laughs> is your discipline. <laughs> Did you hear her meow right after that? Oh my goodness. This is my She's so cat. confused there. Oh, she's so pretty. Mm-hmm. She's she so confused with her life right now. She's like, it's cold Aww. outside. She doesn't like it. So she comes in, but then she's bored. So she causes trouble, but doesn't want any attention. And then as soon as I try to play with her, her stupid brother comes in and steals the toy. Like, oh, that looks fun. Uh-huh. And then she's just sitting there and she refuses to play as soon as he's in the room. So she's like creating her own trauma here. Oh, she sounds like a super douchey, angsty teenager. She, oh my God. <laughs> she kind of is, right? Because that's like literally <laughs> the age she is as a cat is just a really 
Oh, dissatisfied God. teenager. She's going back outside now, so we're safe. But, anyway, <laughs> but I think what we're talking about here is is really important for you personally because this pattern pops up in all these different areas for you. So I'm just trying to I'm trying to like wrap my head around what can I do? How can I create? I think did you call it a framework? Yep. For how I can uh, feel like I'm on alcohol without drinking. <laughs> Well, I think you've already done a few things. I think it's trying to disrupt that initial response to a negative coping strategy. So like instead of it being food or alcohol or, you know, in lots of other people's cases, gambling, sex, pick a fun thing. Pick a fun <laughs> thing that is bad for you or not. Bad or you. It's bad for you if you go too hardcore. It, everything's bad for you. Like work is bad for you if you do too much of it. Everything yes. is bad. Everything's right. so, bad. That's the lesson for today. That's part of our framework of good questions though, right? Like, is this a reasonable way to cope with this situation? Mm-hmm. Is Am I using this coping strategy effectively? I mean, fuck, I felt really <laughs> I actively last night, I was like, I'm not going to drink because I didn't really want to actually the third, by the third night. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not going to drink because I know those like these turn into patterns. And I know. <laughs> Does it have to? I mean, it felt really, those two nights felt so good that I'm like, I feel like if I do another third one and I feel that good, I'm going to be like, why would I not do this? So let's replace alcohol with chocolate cake for a second. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> why are you giggling, Liz? I'm giggling because it, it feels <laughs> different. It feels like a different kind of judgment and shame because with alcohol, I feel like the associations I have, well, you know, it's very adult. It's what adults do after work. And, you know, it's like glamorous and blah, blah, blah. But then when I think of ch- eating chocolate cake in your underwear after work, I'm like, well, that doesn't <laughs> sound glamorous and cool. I don't want to do that. They didn't do that on Mad Men. <laughs> I bet the wives were eating some chocolate cake. Oh, fuck yeah. Because they were so sexually frustrated by the right, douchey, douchey husbands, pieces of shit. Sorry, I really have feelings about some of the people on Mad Men. Apparently. So I think if we replace the alcohol with chocolate cake and I give you an entire chocolate cake, right? And I give you free reign to eat that chocolate cake to your heart's dire, zero consequence of gaining weight. Like let's, let's just eliminate, this is a hypothetical situation, okay? okay? All right. Zero consequence to eating that chocolate cake. How much of that cake do you eat before you're tired of it? How many cakes I mean, it depends on eat, how large. Say. So we just like say like, you know, like an average, like you go to the grocery store and you see in the bakery, there's chocolate cake. Yeah. I'd say I could probably, honestly, probably only like an eighth at the least and a quarter. You're looking at me, but I actually can't handle too much sweetness. It makes me nauseous. So you didn't say the right thing. You're right. I know you're being angry, so are- being angry in the mouth right now. But I, but what you really meant to say when you said chocolate cake, you really meant to say like all the different kinds cheese. of cheese. I did mean cheese. <laughs> I get nauseous if I have too much sweetness. Sorry. My bad. A hundred percent my bad. And my anus mouth was completely about my bad. I was like, mm, I picked the wrong thing. It wasn't about frustrated at you at all. I was like, oh, it didn't work. No me um cheese Cheese. how much cheese if you had unfettered access to cheese 
Like all different kinds of cheese, all, all different, different kinds of, and they were expensive no. as fuck fancy cheese. No, just one kind of cheese though. Oh. Let's start with just one kind of cheese, like Saint Andre, Saint Andre. I don't know. Saint Andre. Oh, you know, the blue one. Well, no, it's a brie. It's like a brie. Okay, that one. That one. But it's like not it that has- it matters for this thought experiment, but you know, cheese. I like cheese too. So okay, but, yeah. But it's not unlimited cheap. access. It's not super cheap, so. That makes all the more exciting. So yes, that particular cheese. How many days in a row do you think you could eat your heart's content of that cheese before you got sick of it? Realistically. My heart's, not- con- my heart's content. Yep. No consequences of weight. I mean, part of me wants to be all like, well, at least five days a week, if not every day. For how many years? months how many weeks just knowing my pattern I feel I feel very confident in my answer that I could put that cheese into my diet and make it a thing I'm craving every single day forever yes hmm interesting okay so what usually happens here is the more taboo a food is Uh uh-huh the more you can go into a long-term fantasy about getting to eat it forever. Ah. Oh. 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 And that's why I made anus mouth about chocolate <laughs> cake. I totally picked the wrong thing for you. So <laughs> that was frustrating because the whole premise of the, the thought experiment is based on the fact that if you don't think a food is taboo, you don't need to imagine having it every day. And like fantasize about that satisfaction of having it every day. If you don't think, that was a lot of words. Yeah, if you don't <laughs> think the food is a taboo, if you don't think there are these horrible, restrictive reasons why you can't have it, then it, it's, it's literally this you want what you can't have problem. Right. And the more you can't have it, the more you want it. And the longer you fight against that guy, you want to date, but he's a bad boy. He's such a bad boy. Oh yeah. This this whole little thought loop thing works for so much around human desire. Right. And and when we're talking about food or alcohol or any of these gratifying, pleasurable things, It works. The more you try to restrict these things, look at sex, look at sexual repression in cultures and just what that does. (laughs) I mean, we can can do a a separate podcast. This is going to be offensive. (laughs) I don't care. There's a reason there's a term. I got taught by a Mormon friend once. There's a term called Hormon. The Mormons who hardcore rebel because they're so constricted. They're all Jack Mormons in Utah because I went to school in Utah and I witnessed this stuff firsthand. It was like, you guys are off the hook. Like, yeah, you're going so far off the deep end. It's not even fun anymore. And not just like, I'm not talking just sexually. I just mean drugs, alcohol, anything anything you can do. Restricted. Yeah. If you look at that and you look at your food behavior around foods you really, really want to be able to enjoy, that you want to allow yourself, that's where you come to with an indefinite timeline to eating that food because it's still taboo. And as long as it's still taboo, you will feel that need to continuously consume it. And we've talked about this before, this whole, the food bag experiment I did way back when I was living in France about the idea that like I had free access to any food I wanted. I could eat it anytime I wanted. The only rules were I needed to be actually hungry 
And I needed to respond in both directions. Like if I wanted a carrot, I needed to eat a carrot. If I wanted a donut, I needed to eat a donut. It was equal Mm. opportunity eating. And it was so eye-opening about my, which foods for me, I had rendered taboo. And there were so many more of them than I realized. Mm. I found those feelings, those ideas that like, oh, I won't have any control if I eat that. I'll just go on a relentless, endless bender eating that. And you've literally had that come up now with alcohol too. This idea that, oh, I had two drinks. What if I can't control myself? Yeah. Or what it, it feels, yeah. Cause that lack of control, it feels like, like you'll start to make any excuse if you want it. You're just like, well. Now the question becomes, is that a real fear? Because that's a behavior you already exhibit with food or is that a perceived fear that's preventing you from actually enjoying the foods that you're eating now? That's such a hard question. It feels like a hard question because I'm like, okay, part of it is definitely this perceived fear. And and then part of it is definitely, I know I've been like, I've obviously I've binged before, you know, and I felt like out of control, like just get right, the where, in my mouth. Where's the root of that binge coming from? Did you feel like before the, you restricted your food intake? The feeling of that binge is coming from, if I'm going to put myself in that moment, it feels like, oh my God, you better get in before you, before you don't allow yourself to anymore. And uh, you know what? You know what? Here's another little like obvious sign. When does that, when does that, that final week binge or whatever happen? It's always on like Sunday night. It's always like, okay, Monday's starting. You you know, start work and everything. You better try to enjoy yourself real hard by shoving the food in your mouth now and enjoy your Sunday because Monday's coming and no fun for you. It's a scarcity mentality, right? This is a rare opportunity. This is something I don't get very often. So looking at solution looking at do you think that a good solution to well I mean like something to tinker with because I know we don't just come up with hard and fast like well here's your fix just do this (laughs) but do you think something to tinker with would be perhaps create you know creating god creating definitely creating moments every day to have like an actual enjoyment. It doesn't have to be the weekend to be able to allow yourself to not work and just enjoy yourself. And yes, I mean, this is what we've been discussing for a while. We've been trying to do this with money, right? Giving you the budget weekly Mm -hmm. to go and spend on quote unquote luxury items. We've been trying to give you really rewarding meals that make you feel satisfied, that make you eliminate this restrictive mentality around food should be punishment. And mm-hmm. if it's not punishment, you're damaging yourself somehow. Like this is really pervasive. And if you look at um, the, the, I guess for lack of a better way to explain it, like the tenets of intuitive eating, it's one of their core things. When we talk about intuitive eating, people just think it means I get to eat whatever I want, whenever I want. But it's like, that's not quite it. It's more like I really genuinely listen to what my body is asking for and I respond. And that doesn't mean that if you like, let the reins go that you're just going to go face down in a bottle of bourbon permanently and never, ever come up. It doesn't mean that you're going to go face down in a pile of cheese and literally never, ever come up. It means 
you're taking away the the root of the feeling of scarcity because these things are not scarce in your in your environment they're abundant yeah it's only you that's restricting them for you and it's mm-hmm. almost always under the the focus of losing weight yeah and i'm going to bring it back to that seminar we went to where that, and you know what I'm going to say, because <laughs> that face you made tells me you know exactly where I'm going. Where she talked about, you know, she had the CEOs coming in who were like, I need more structure, I need more time management, I need more. And her whole thing was like, well, actually, you need the opposite, you need less. Mm-hmm. So the opposite of restriction is freedom for you because you don't need more of the same. More of the same is harder core calorie counting, harder core macro tracking, harder core adherence to your chart and your schedule. And you just need to force yourself into that system, Liz. Why, why haven't you succeeded at that yet? And if we have to ask ourselves that question, if we have to keep saying like, boy, why can't I do this? It's not you, it's the system you're running. Mm. that doesn't mean you give up on your goals. I'm not saying like, just fuck it, eat all the cheese you want and gain all the weight that you can. That's what it sounds like. And that's what it may feel like when I'm asking you to let go. But the truth is the letting go is the freedom that will allow you to make the choices you need to make to better yourself and to get healthier. And we've been doing it. Think about every time we focus on something additive right? It doesn't feel the same. It's like carrot cake oatmeal was a first big win for us where it was like, okay, let's build your ideal breakfast. Let's figure out what you need out of this breakfast for it to be satisfying, nutritionally balanced and calorically reasonable. Mm -hmm. And we tweaked it and we tweaked it and we spent a long time on that one thing. How satisfied are you still with that oatmeal? Pretty fucking satisfied. And you know what? I add in even more carrots now because I'm like, I really fucking love the carrots. And they're like, I add them in the very last second. So I'm not even cooking it anymore. So they're not even cooked. They're still like crunchy. And I'm like, I like that. Yes. Now that right there, that's how you get out of this, this cycle is you can't keep focusing on the cycle. The more you focus on the cycle, the more you feed it because it feeds the restriction. So if I were to tackle my cheese, yeah, my cheese, cheese demons, demons, <laughs> like, so what I'm visualing, right? Visualing, visualizing, visualing right now is, um, I re- I know we talked about this about this idea that the I mean it's not an idea I guess it's a thing the British have their cake and their Mm -hmm. tea and that's like a daily thing to have like a piece of Victoria sponge with like cream. Well, I wouldn't say they have a giant piece of cake every day, but they have a four o'clock or, you know, between four and six is a cup of tea and some sort of snacky break thing. You can have a crumpet, you can have, I mean, you can have a carrot if you want to, but you stop, you pause, you take that moment to enjoy things. There are entire like industries devoted to the British tea time and the French have it too, but they just do coffee. Like it's coffee and a pastry or coffee and a, you stop, you meet a friend, you have a coffee, you indulge in that moment. But you also get to have whatever you're eating. Like, cause uh, when did, you hear hear, the, did you hear that? You were like, you've also get to have something to eat, right? You also get to have a pastry, right? <laughs> you also get to have a pastry. Well, I guess right. the idea is like, you can have a pastry. You cannot have a pastry. Cannot. They're available. 
but there's no scarcity of them. There's no restriction of them. See, that's what I'm interested in because in my head, in my American head, I'm like, oh no, like in my American head, I go to the coffee shop. I'm like, I'll have a fat free latte. Thank you. <laughs> and then you're just looking at the, the pastries and you're just like, I mustn't. I'll do that on the weekend. I, you know, I'm going to say everything day. for the weekend on my cheat on my day. Cheat day. Um, by the way, I would never do a fat free latte because I don't hate myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so that, no, that's what it feels like. It's like, well, well, I'm going to, you know, on my cheat day or something, even though I really want one now, and now I'm going to fantasize later about having a fucking cinnamon roll. Right. And those fantasies just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you get a binge, right? And this is literally, you know, no matter what your personal goal is, whether it's weight loss, muscle gain, um, health improvement, it doesn't matter. If you are running a restrictive cycle, you will at some point come up against the breaking of your will, you know, like, and there's studies that say willpower is finite. And there are studies that say willpower is infinite and it depends on your personal belief system. But the reality is it's an unstable system. Restriction and repression are unstable systems. Yes, they may be effective short term. I'm not saying that, you know, if you're a professional athlete and you have to train super hardcore and hold yourself accountable to these really high standards, you have to do it. And that's part of that process. But they don't do it permanently and definitely for their whole lives. Yeah. They can't. There are off seasons. Like at almost every year. They after retire after at 30. Season. Yeah. So they're not doing it until they're 90. They're doing it until yeah. they're 30 or 35. That's a, that's a finite period of time. It's short, right? When you look at the span of your whole life and all of your habits. And then they usually have to unlearn a lot of that behavior exactly like you are at the moment. Because yeah. that restrictive mentality creates less helpful overall patterns. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, I did it too. I'm not sitting here like, oh, if you just got it all sorted out, it'd be awesome. It's like, I still fight with restrictive food behaviors because for me, like I was super hardcore into very restrictive diets. Yeah. And all of them, pick one. I did it and I nailed it because I'm a Virgo. So, <laughs> you know, it's a totally different place to be at where it's like, no, I, you know, like I came home today and I'd had my regular breakfast that I had and we went out and we were, we went to Target and I was like, oh, Starbucks. And I'm like, oh, you hate Starbucks. You hate their coffee. Don't order that. You're going to get some peppermint mocha. It's going to be not exactly what you want. And it's going to be five fucking dollars and their coffee sucks. Just go home and make your own. So I went home and I was like, I want a really nice coffee. Mm. So I got out the Nespresso machine, which I, ha ha, really nice coffee. It's the best coffee I have in my house. I got the Nespresso machine. I made like a little tight espresso. And then I put a little bit of vanilla flavor in it. And I put whipped cream and cinnamon on top. Mm. And I was like, yeah. So I met the craving. Mm-hmm. I wasn't worried about the calories. I was worried about the indulgence and the reward. And I realized that the initial thing that triggered that wasn't actually what I really wanted. It wasn't going to satisfy the need. And then I sat with it for a minute and I decided what really was going to satisfy that. And I did it. 
And, and that's sort of what you're trying to get to. It's like, oh, I had this impulse. I had this impulse to drink, right? This is where these questions come back into play. Like, what triggered this desire in the first place? Why did I want that Starbucks? Oh, because I actually skipped my coffee this morning. I didn't get my cup of coffee. I'm kind of thirsty. And warm beverage sounds great. Okay, three key things I identified that triggered that behavior right there. Plus, it's a treat, and I'm out with my kid, and we're in a store, and it's a quarantine, and this and is a Christmas big and it's Christmassy, and all these feelings are happening, and I had a food craving, and I realized that I could absolutely meet that craving, but I didn't have to do it the first way I came up with, so I sat, and that's where the question comes in to disrupt the pattern that you had with the alcohol, right? So it's like, ah, why am I having this craving? Ooh, I had a tough day, and I'm really stressed, and I just want to relax, the next question is, okay, I've identified the thing I really need. How do I meet that need? Not how do I repress that need? Why I don't deserve that need? Why I'm a loser because I had that in the first place? What kind of bodybuilding Obviously, I just need to go yeah, for a nice hard run in the cold and get, work it out in a hard run. Right. <laughs> this, is, this is self-care. This is what we're talking about. We talk about self-care. It's you know meeting what? a need. You know what I did? In a productive okay. way. So to bring you through that, because I took your advice from last time, um, which was, uh, so I felt that I kept on like, oh, like fantasizing about bourbon. And I was like, oh my fucking God, that sounds so great and festive. And it's so chilly here and sounds so nice. And so I was like, you know what? I really need to move my body too. And I also want to feel like some relaxation and just care so I did 20 minutes of yoga and like, you know, ab stuff, um, planks and whatnot. And after that 20 minutes, I was like, I still want that bourbon so badly. And so I, I still had the bourbon, but I did do that. Well, what, can, what else can I do to take care of myself further? Like, so that, you know, to see if it's, um, to see if that, I, I guess in a weird way to see if that craving is really I don't want to say real but it's really asking for if it really wants that or if it's something else right that's exactly it that's how you break this pattern right because you can dive straight in and lean into all the food cravings until they go away I mean that's if you if you look at a lot of um, people who teach intuitive eating or whatever that's a lot of what they'll tell you it's like you just got to undemonize this food and you got to do it by unrestricting it immediately and it's like okay Yes, that is a strategy that works, but it has a high price potentially because if you've got really, really long-term restrictive tendencies, you might go a really long time eating that cheese before you're fed up with it and you're going to have a lot of internal battles and you are very, very likely to gain a bunch of weight. So you can, you can kind of go halfway between that and do what we're, we're doing here, which is, okay, let's, let's really take each opportunity where I have a craving, where I have something I know is counter to the goals I'm trying to work on and assess where it's coming from, what my initial response to it is, is there an alternative? And did it actually satisfy the need? Because you have to do that final check. That's the one people often forget is like, well, you did your 20 minutes of yoga, bitch. Why aren't you happy? No, <laughs> the original craving was bourbon. Mm -hmm. The original craving was bourbon. You realize that the root of that craving was stress 
And you know that other things help you manage your stress now because you've experimented with that. And so yeah. you tried the other thing to manage your stress and you got done. You're like, no, man, bourbon still sounds good. Cool. Maybe it meant you only had one bourbon instead mm-hmm. of six because yeah. you did the yoga as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think it, it's a really important skill set, this one. And it is the way out of a lot of repetitive patterns, I think, because it it's still taking care of the actual need that came up. Yeah. Instead of, like you said, repressing it and being like, I don't want that. I don't need that. You don't need that. You have goals. You're going to make a mocktail out of lemon juice and ice. (laughs) (laughs) And just Mm. a little bit of angel dust. (laughs) Right? Just a little bit of angel dust. (laughs) And, And I think this is what gets people hung up is because if you hadn't had that bourbon and then let's say you went to, not that this is ever a reality, we're in super fantasy land now, but let's say you got invited to a holiday party and you go to the holiday party and somebody's pouring bourbon. The next thing you know, you've had six because mm. you've let that repressed need sit there. And I'm not yeah. saying respond to every need you ever had or have, and that every need is valid. I'm saying really run the process of self-assessment on it and, and really decide. Cause sometimes you'll do the yoga and you won't want the bourbon anymore. Or sometimes yeah. you'll be like, yeah, fuck yoga. That's not working ever to get rid of my cravings. I still want the bourbon. Now, what do I try? Maybe instead I need to go scream into a pillow. Yeah. Let's try screaming into a pillow That's for a minute and yeah. then see if I want bourbon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I like that. Um, but, you know, but th- I think that's the that's the trick, because over time, repeating this process over and over, what you end up doing is building new coping mechanisms that replace the old ones mm. rather than trying to just yell at the old ones and tell them not to be there anymore and get mad at yourself when they pop back up and go, ah, you know. <laughs> You know, it's like, and it's the same with the carrot cake oatmeal and with building solid nutrition habits. You're doing the same process. It's like when you've been through a year of therapy to not like, (laughs) to not like have sex with really shitty, horrible, abusive (laughs) men. And then, and then you're just like walking along and then your really hot ex lover walks up to you. You're like, God damn it. I still want to have sex with you. Yes. But maybe this time you're like. But I know what the consequences of that are, and, and it's, it's not, not worth it. it. So and thanks very much. So fun. I can go imagine and remember, <laughs> and I don't have to inflict this upon myself again, right? Yeah. So, you know, like I said, this is just this is just how we're wired, you know. And you've got to learn to work with it instead of just getting so mad at it. And I mean, sometimes screaming yeah. into a pillow is exactly the answer, especially when you have children. Oh yeah, I bet. I I, this is so tangential, but like I remember before I had kids, I had read this article about somebody taping their kids to the wall with duct tape. And I was so appalled. I was like, how could anybody ever do that to their own child? What kind of monsters are out there? And I think my child was probably two years old where I had this epiphany moment and I was like, aha, that's how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I see I'm not I even a mother do it <laughs> I'm not even a mother yet but I'm already like yes people need to well because I think coming from LA where there's a lot of like oh sweetheart my child can do no wrong and I'm like you <laughs> fucking put it on a leash because it's irritating me and it won't get away <laughs> from me 
And but I'm a monster, so no. But I think it's just one of those. It it's really really hard to to understand a situation you're not living, right? So hmm. like, and those needs are there, and they're there for reasons. And the, I shouldn't say needs as much as I should say feelings. Those feelings are there for a reason. What yeah. you do with them is up to you, and how you respond to them is up to you. But don't ignore them and tell them they're not valid because that gets you in longer term trouble. Yeah. And you should never do that to any loved one ever. Invalidate their feelings or tape them to the wall with duct tape? Well, (laughs) they want to be taped to the wall with duct tape. Does it? I know, right? I was like, is it consensual? I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, validate your fucking feelings. But and I'm I'm thinking of like this that 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 uh, meta metaphor or that scenario you brought up with the the party where someone's pouring bourbon and you're all like oh fuck yeah and just have <laughs> sex because I'm like to me it's like some sort of really horrible mind prison that I feel like it's like yeah oh my god you just broke out of prison so make sure you have as many drinks as possible before you have to go back to prison right. Yeah. A con- that's a conjugal visit, man. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Right. And it just, I'm like, why do I put myself in a prison? And then part of me is like, because it's, it's right. You got to control yourself. You got to control your, your feelings. Un- unfettered you would be awful, wouldn't it? Unfettered wow. Elizabeth would just, you know, kill people who played their music too loud. <laughs> right. And I'm pretty sure like if I were president, like, Playing your music at a very obnoxious level would definitely result in felony charges. And it also is dependent on what music you play. You know, the more offensive it is to me, the worse the charges. Let's see. I think you bring up an interesting point around social conditioning because this is partially what this this is related to, right? Like we have social conditioning for very important reasons. You know, like to prevent others from murdering each other because their music is too loud or for personal differences. But if you take that too far, you know, if you take the social conditioning so far that you really don't allow yourself to, to be yourself and, and to take care of yourself, then now you've gone farther over on that continuum than is really going to be beneficial for you because we social conditioning is super important for us to thrive as a species. Yeah, totally. But watch out because there's a balance. There's a give and a take, right? We're a weirdly unique species in the sense that we are, you know, we're group animals that are highly individualistic. You know, there aren't that many others out there like that. It's either you got, you know, herds or you got loners. And then that space in the middle where it's like, hey, we all kind of live in a group. we got to make some compromises, but I'm still going to do my own thing. That's not as common. And so it can be a hard balance to strike. It can be a really fine line to walk. And we're, we're extra special, weird, and complex anyway compared to the other animals. <clears throat> at least whale. in the brain department. Like whales in the, are great. Yeah. At least in the brain department, right? Not whales, us. I don't know about whale brains. Whales out of and my... octopi, octopi are great. Yeah. And I think you, you've got to try to like – Listen enough and respond enough, but like also not murder people. That, that sounded like that was going to be really profound, right? And also not murder people. <laughs> and also 
So I think, so if I were gonna so if I were gonna <laughs> fucked up equate murdering people to eating cheese. No, that's stupid. Okay, so like if I felt like okay, I'm having feelings like I'm gonna murder this person because they're blasting. This happened to me last night. They are blasting music in their piece of shit fucking car. And it's so obnoxious. I'm sorry. This car was such, mm, I can't, I don't know what to say because every single thing I want to say is super offensive, but it's just like, you just know this person was trashy as fuck. Like (laughs) really mm, like they loved mullets and Budweiser. Okay. And (laughs) they had like the raised up their stupid shitty fucking truck mobile thing was raised up and it was so ugly and offensive and loud it had they had the obnoxious like purposefully loud like muffler shit i don't know but then they were (laughs) blasting blasting music like at an insane level and they were like right behind us and we were at the red light we couldn't do anything and and so like i felt like I hope you die, you know, like normal, right? I hope you fucking oh die. I really like there. I don't know what it is, but I get really upset because I'm because in my head, it's not like, oh, you're playing your music loudly in my head. You are a horrible person. You obviously don't care about anyone else. And you actually go out of your way to try to aggravate people and to hurt them. Right. <laughs> Hang on for a second, though, there, because there's there's an interesting thing here that you're you're bringing up. And it's this. You are filtering that person's decisions through your own perceptions of those behaviors. Yes. Right? I guarantee you, if you pulled that guy over and you asked him why he felt like he should be playing his music that loud and why he has a mullet or likes Budweiser (laughs) or has that loud thing on his car, he'd be like, because I think people deserve to hear the awesome music that I am playing. Like, I guarantee you it would be something like that. And he would say something along the lines of like, mullets are super functional. And it means I can be business on top and party in the rear. And I mean, literally, those people just have described mullets this way before in the past. And, you know, this is the this is the interesting thing about human perception is that we none of us make decisions on a daily basis that we believe are directly damaging to another person. We always have a rationale for for what it is we're doing. Maybe he puts that muffler on his car because he thinks it's literally the coolest thing to do and that other cool people will recognize him by that. And he drives around and looks for other people with that muffler and goes, oh, you get it, man. You're cool. It's a bonding ritual. Even if he, he may have no perception that it annoys people, which is highly unlikely, but if he does think it annoys people, he's classified those people as less important than the people he's trying to interact with. Well, then I just feel like I, well, now I just feel like I deserve to like fuck him up even more now, Chris, because I'm no. like, oh, I don't need people like that in the world, but no, I may be a little bit do. of a monster. You're not a monster. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I'm saying is that the empathy muscle and the understanding people's motivations muscle are super important for understanding yourself. Because Mm -hmm. if you can get yourself to a place where you can understand why a person would make those choices that are so contrary to anything you would ever choose to the degree that it really, really disrupts your whole vibe, then you can understand yourself even better. Oh, Practice the empathy. I heard the landscaping guy outside and then I lost my train of thought. The empathy, empathy and being able to understand myself better because I. No, it was different shit. That was important. 
put this up my nose instead. <laughs> just lower your angrily shaking wire ah. at me. <laughs> I was like, I was flicking it. Boy, I've had a lot of anger. Apparently what you're perceiving is really angry gestures today with my anus mouth and my wagging of this. I was literally just playing with it. Like I was like, we. Or you were using it to gesture. Shaking it? Like it was a whip. Like it was a whip. It was great. Wow. See? In case in point again, right? Like I'm like we, and you're like, oh, you're whipping me, and I'm like, you're what? whipping me. <laughs> you're, you're right. Okay. I just don't like loud people, and I've heard that in right. France they value. Oh boy. Loudness. Yes. You'd have I, never. You've never met children quieter than French children. <laughs> I want all the French children, then all of them, because it's fuck, fascinating. Fuck a. Oh, I feel like I know not everywhere in America, but I just feel like. Why, as I scream this, why do Americans have to be so fucking loud? Yeah, well, we are definitely known for our volume. Uh, I Your place is still England. Right. Because England is somewhere between these things in a lot of ways, I oh, think. England, but England yes. See, that's the drink. Tea, it's cold. But I also want coffee. I want coffee and tea. Oh, I yeah, they have both. In the morning, my tea in the afternoon. Uh, so to sum this all up, right? Sum it up. By having a better understanding of your behavior and being able to interpret other people's behavior through a similar lens of motivations, it can it can become a lot more like systematic or routine to question your responses and take those feelings that you're having and, and put them through the filter of why, how, like, what do I do with this? Mm. Okay. Right. Cause that's kind of what I'm saying about the guy with the mullet is like, why would somebody behave like that? What would possibly make them want to do these things that I feel are so different to the things I would do. And then ask yourself like, okay, well, most people behave this way for this reason. And then, okay. So now the next question, like, how did he come to the decision to do specifically that? Yeah. And then the next question is like, what do I do about it? <laughs> well, well, I, I wait till he's a, I seduce him, wait till he's asleep, shave off the back side of his mullet, and then make him deaf so he can't listen to music anymore anyway. So I got one more thing that just <laughs> popped into my head because like the mullet keeps coming up. And okay, I'm, I'm sorry, but Patrick here. Swayze, Patrick Swayze pulled off a mullet. Now that <laughs> that's a beautiful mullet on a man. Okay. But my point is more going to be the mullet seems, and I don't like mullets. I'm not saying that I'm a, a, a mullet lover, but what I'm saying I mean, is I want to illustrate this point because it's really important to understand. And it's that like, if you find a mullet so confronting, like what, how valuable would the exercise be of actually getting a mullet yourself? Because when oh we talk about, God. do you want we, Andrew to leave me? No, but when we talk about change and we talk about getting uncomfortable, uh -huh. it's the literal equivalent of giving yourself a mullet. That can be how confronting change is. It's that uncomfortable. It challenges everything about how you perceive your actions. It challenges everything about how you go through your day. You have all of these constructs that say there is a way to do things and there is a way not to do things. And when you hold really rigidly onto that, it becomes hard to shift big patterns. So look at disrupting this behavior pattern of restriction for you as your personal mullet. 
my personal mullet. By That's your Chris personal Wilkins. mullet. By Chris Wilkins. <laughs> I'm serious. Your biography. <laughs> okay, I I think I get what you're saying. It's that uncomfortable. Yeah. What I'm asking you to do, if I said you can eat all the cheese you want, but you might gain a bunch of weight, or you can have a mullet, which one would you pick? Mm, God, that's <laughs> hard. Exactly, that's which hard. is why it's your change equivalent. Okay, because these things that we 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 make these decisions about help us define who we are versus other people, and then they inform our decision making. And they inform our interpretation of our emotions and responses. So if we don't look at them and we don't challenge them and we don't say, hey, this is serving me and this isn't, then we don't make effective change. Yeah. That's some intense there you go. stuff. That's some intense stuff right there. Yeah. You next week, next week you see me and I just have a mullet. You're like, I did it. I got a mullet. I did, it. I told, I did what you told me to do. <laughs> Please, people out in listening land, don't just go get mullets. That's not what I was saying. I, I did not say inject bleach. I did not. I didn't. Oh my God. I would have I'm a just fro-let saying. though because I have curly hair. So I would have a fro-let. <laughs> I don't even or think better. my hair would mullet. I think it would just look really gross. You would look so 1980s. I mean, well, I feel like everyone oh. would really 1980s if they have a mullet. <sighs> yep. All right. So what are you going to work on this week? Eating cheese. Wrap her up. <laughs> Eating cheese. Okay. No, I'm going to work this week. I am actually going to work on... Um, on creating self-care systems like, hey, it's Tuesdays are my busy, crazy, hectic days. Hey, it's Tuesday. Instead of like, you don't deserve any sort of rest because you know it's a crazy day and you don't deserve rest and peace. I'm like, no, I'm going to like carve out time for me to just enjoy myself. And if I want to have a drink later in the day, I can, I can have it, but I can also do a lot of other things before that and see how that feels and but then not if- as a way to like how do I say it so that it makes sense it's not a punishment for wanting the bourbon it's not a replacement for wanting the bourbon right it's like mm-hmm. a it's a it's an actual fulfilling of that self-care need because yeah. if you just it's just like saying like I'm gonna eat only paleo cookies instead of real cookies, it's still a cookie, right? So you, you've got to make sure that you're, you're meeting the need and you're not just trying to replace the caloric behavior that it's like, you don't need bourbon, you need yoga. Like you can yoga for your needs. That's not you gonna do bourbon, it. You need yoga. So. Right. <laughs> that is a great like tagline for an, a horrible yoga brand. Kind right. Of, oh my God. But you see what I'm saying, right? You have to be careful about the motivation behind replacing. So it's desire. not like, like you said, it's not a punishment. It's not it's like, not a punishment. how dare you want, want bourbon. And you don't deserve that. bourbon. You need you to go exercise. Yoga. 
Hey, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And I hope that today's episode made you think a little bit about how you could apply some of what we're talking about to yourself and your behaviors and let us know if you find any of it meaningful. Make sure to tune in for the next episode where we will continue to have somewhat circular conversations that may be helpful. They will be. They will be helpful. (laughs) It's what you take away from them. Wow. The more you know. 